Well, howdy there, folks. It's me, Heather. Today is January 23rd, 2022. We are three weeks into this beautiful new year. And just a note that yesterday I did go to the Freedom Rally in London, Ontario, and gave out a number of cards to advertise this podcast, trying to get the word out. Um, so if anybody was there, and finds this podcast as a result. Welcome. I am glad to have you and thank you for everything that you do in pursuit of freedom in this country. All right, with that, I am going to start today's reading. Chapter 10, Debbie. On the way to the plant, Deb gasped, Vic, look at that. She pointed into a cornfield on their left. It was a beautiful, healthy-looking field with neat rows of corn that were about as high as Deb's knee. But in the center of the field, there was a sinkhole. It was at least as big as an Olympic swimming pool, maybe larger. It looked like a bowl indentation, as though someone had taken a giant knife and sliced out a circle in the middle of the field before pushing that circle down about 20 feet lower than the rest of the field. Deb could see down inside it where the various layers of mud and earth formed the sides of the bowl and muddy water pooled in the bottom. I have never seen anything like that, Vic said. Deb bit her lip. Kind of makes you believe in the things that slideshow said, though, doesn't it? He looked over at her. You know what makes me believe even more than that sinkhole thing there or whatever that is in that cornfield? The boss man showing up to give that Doucette guy a gun. She nodded. I know. It's messed up. I still can't believe we got shot at. The plant was directly ahead. They were on Hickory Road, just coming up to the 402 overpass. Vic braked as a series of transport trucks exited the westbound lanes and pulled off onto the Hickory Road off-ramp in front of them. Like most manufacturing facilities along the 401 series highway corridors, Fallon Motors employed the just-in-time management strategy. This meant that an endless stream of transport trucks was constantly circulating into the plant, bringing parts as needed so that the company could save on the overhead cost of providing warehousing space for the parts on site. It was a strategy that was very efficient for the management one that effectively made the province's highways into a rolling warehouse to suit the manufacturing sector's needs. Deb eyed the lineup of transports ahead of them, all sitting patiently in the turning lane with their blinkers on, waiting to go into the Fallon plant's loading entrance. They really need to do something about this overpass, Deb remarked. I'm surprised it can even hold up with all of this weight on it. Hope you weren't in a hurry. Vic smiled. Shouldn't be more than a couple minutes. While they waited for the truck traffic to clear the overpass intersection, Deb gazed over at the plant. Three big smokestacks billowed exhaust from the paint department, and the wind was such that the smell came in through the car's open window. Deb wrinkled her nose. She'd been working at the plant since it opened, but had never been able to get used to the chemical smell of the place. She peered up at the back of the big rig in front of them, then huffed impatiently. This is a total bottleneck. It's amazing there haven't been any serious accidents here. Behind the wheel, 
Vic smiled. It'll clear. Just give it another minute. Finally, the traffic did. Vic pulled the thrust into the employee parking lot and found a spot. On any given shift, the plant employed almost a thousand workers, and the employee lot was packed with their vehicles. Looking at all these cars really brings home the impact of what we're planning to do. If the plant shuts down, a lot of families will go without a paycheck next week. Vic frowned. The plant paid better than most of the factories around there. There was no doubt about that. At least it did for the unionized workers. During the last round of collective bargaining, Fallon had insisted on the inclusion of temp workers who made 11 bucks an hour less than the unionized one. The UAW had gone on strike back then as well to fight this, but Prime Minister Wall had intervened, bringing in back-to-work legislation, forcing the union to accept the deal. Today, if the Wildcat took place, only the unionized employees would get strike pay, little as that was. The temp workers would go home with nothing. How do you think they're going to take it? Deb asked quietly, nodding her head at a trio of workers eating their lunch at a picnic table outside the plant. Vic shrugged. They're either with us or against, but I think once people see the video, they're going to realize that what Fallon and Manico are doing isn't right. Deb nodded. True. She bit at her lower lip again and tucked a length of her hair behind her ear. Vic, we're sure about this, aren't we? That the slideshow was legit? There are a lot of people's paychecks on the line. He shrugged again. Those quakes felt real to me, and besides, what else could be causing that mud bog we just saw? She sighed, hunched her shoulders low into her jacket, and crossed her arms over her breasts. It's real. I know it is. If I'm honest, somewhere inside me I've always felt there was something off about this place. Something negative. It uses up people's bodies. It uses up resources. It's a machine that cranks out vehicles night and day. For that alone, it has bad energy. But the thought of the fracking and the damage it has caused? She shook her head, then looked at him. Fallon is a bad man, and Fallon Motors is his damaging, destructive scheme. It needs to be stopped. She shivered. Cold? She nodded. This whole thing makes me cold. I hate that we've been working here all this time. I never would have had I known what they were doing. No one would. But these workers here have showed up in good faith. They've worked hard. They've earned wages. They've used them to sign mortgages and car loans, university tuition savings plans for their kids. If it gets shut down, so many people are going to be so fucked. It's such a mess. Vic frowned. What is? Deb shoved her hands into her hair. This is this entire basis upon which we live our lives. It's tainted. Don't you get that feeling? I do. The whole system is flawed. It has to be, or a thing like this couldn't happen. People know about this, Victor. Politicians, probably Wall himself, but no one stopped them. This is why rich people keep getting richer. It's how they keep the rest of us oppressed. They live above the law. If we succeed today, this place will fall. And if it does, the workers are the ones who lose. Everything we worked for, 
All we did was make them richer. But this time, we destroyed our own homes in the process. And you know what the worst part is? He took her hand, then shook his head. She leaned toward him, pulled her hair to one side, over her shoulder. If, if we shut them down, they'll just regroup, lay low, recount their money, and come up with some other way to exploit us. It's the average person who will be the ones that pay the price. When this place floods, when we lose all our homes, we'll become refugees, and they can just carry on like nothing happened. She looked at him miserably. He reached over and lifted her chin a little with his fingertips. That's why we can't give up. They only win if we let them. Maybe what we do today will wake people up. He pointed at the reserved parking spaces where a white van bearing the CBC News logo was parked. The news is here. If we shut the line down, we might get on TV, get the message out to everyone, tell them to watch the slideshow. People will learn about the damage, maybe in time to get outside the evac zone and save themselves, save their freedom while they can. We need to hold Fallon accountable, Deb. We have a chance to make this known to everybody. We can't let one more vehicle off that line until he talks to us. That's what we say, okay? Not one more until we know. And once we know, we'll take a vote. Anyone who wants to stay can stay. And the ones who don't can walk away. She nodded slowly. Then on impulse, she leaned closer and kissed him. He kissed her back and deeply, like he'd been waiting for the chance to do it his whole life. He pulled her close. When the kiss broke off, she laid her head against his chest. And even though the center console pressed her ribs, it felt amazing. She allowed herself a few moments to bask in the small comfort of his nearness, and then she sighed. Then to her well, it were done quickly, she mumbled. What was that? It's a line from Macbeth. It basically means, we might as well get this shit over with. He laughed. Getting out of the car, he came around to her side, opened her door, and held out a hand. Milady, he said. She stepped out of the car and took his hand, and together they headed for the tall chain-link security fence that surrounded the plant and the turnstile gate that would let them through it. They were almost there when she stopped him. Wait, I need to do something first. She dropped his hand and placed her palms together in front of her heart. Dear universe, they say the meek will inherit the earth, and what we're about to do is pretty brazen but we do it with pure intentions. We're trying to do good, to shine light on what's happened to this beautiful world that we've been given. So if we're right, please help us stop these a-holes. Amen, she finished primly, then looked at Vic expectantly. Amen, he said hesitantly, and she smiled. Amen is right. Vic, how are we going to do this? How are we going to actually stop the line? He shrugged. Any smart station would work. If the sensors detect the process at that station hasn't been completed, the computer system stops the line. All we have to do is go to that kind of station, make it fail to complete its process, and have our showdown. 
The computer monitoring system at the smart station doesn't register the specified torques. Down goes the line. Once that happens, management comes. And when they do, we demand to talk to Fallon. You think he'll come? I would. It costs him, what, a million bucks a minute when the line is down? Something like that. At least, that's what they tell us. She chewed her thumbnail, considering, what about tire install? It's a smart station, and there's lots of room there. True, once tire install goes down, the lines back up pretty quickly. It's as good a place as any. Does the union office still have access to the lunchroom television feed? Deb was on the recreational committee for the union and had access to the AV room. She nodded. Think you could override the feed? Get the lunchroom TVs playing that slideshow? I could try. She thought about it. Okay, yeah, that shouldn't be a problem. I'll run up there now and meet you at the tire install after. He grasped her upper arms and looked into her eyes. We're doing something good here, Deb, but when we're done, his eyes went soft. That kiss back there, I kind of liked it. Pull this off and you'll get another one. She winked, then turned and headed up the stairs to the AV room. He watched her go, admiring the way the denim of her pants clung to the tight curve of her hips, and then he turned and headed into the plant. Deb led herself into the AV room, which was right outside of Human Resources, where the offices of the bigwigs in management were clustered. She puffed out a breath. If she happened to be caught by someone from HR right now, tampering with the video feed, it would mean her job. Won't be no job here anyway, not once the whole plant falls to the bottom of the lake, she reminded herself. She closed the door behind her and crossed to the computer desk. The system was set up to run a feed to all of the plant's many break areas where television screens broadcast corporate messaging, ads, and what Deb called propaganda all day long, 24-7. The company also had allowed the union to have use of this system. As team lead on the union social relations committee, Deb had access to the feed. It was how she had posted the notice of the Sister Act fundraiser the one for which the $10,000 from that morning's failed check presentation photo op had been raised. Never did get the chance to hand over that giant check, she thought sadly, as she swiped her electronic key card. The card gave her access to the system that ran the feed. She found the union's access page and deleted a photo of herself and Victor holding up the giant check in front of the plant. She chuckled sadly. She had been so excited to hand over that check just this morning, but the day had not turned out the way she thought that it was going to. There was a tab open at the bottom of the screen that Deb had never seen before. In-house monitoring, it said. Curious, she clicked it open, and when she realized what it was that she was looking at, she gasped. The screen was filled with little thumbnails for live webcams, neatly labeled with the name of every break area. The company is recording through the lunchroom TV screens, she realized. She clicked on a thumbnail at random, and it went to full screen. Fascinated, she watched two women walk through their break area to the bank of lockers on one side, 
One glanced at the television screen as she passed, and Deb felt she was looking right at her. They're on about the sales figures again, the woman said, and her companion shrugged. Who cares? It's just a bunch of corporate bullshit anyways. The pair moved out of range. Deb felt a little sick. She'd been able to hear them perfectly. So that's why they put in the television screens. Orwell was right. Big Brother is watching. Feeling helpless, she thought back to conversations where she'd sat with friends and griped about the company or talked about their personal lives and shared things that they'd never have shared had they known that they were being recorded. She shook her head. She had work to do, and there would be time to be angry about this afterwards. Still, she pulled out her cell phone and took a quick video of what one screen was showing. She took a few second clip of a tired looking blonde woman pausing to look longingly at a photo of two little blonde haired children taped inside her locker door. And then Deb felt wrong for filming her in that private moment and ended the recording. But she's still being recorded, isn't she? Deb clicked through another few thumbnails each of them tied to a break area, each of them proving that the company was recording its employees' private moments. Something about that made her feel the prickle of tears, but she pushed that aside. She had work to do. She opened up the union's Facebook page and used it to find Jenna's live stream. She glanced back over her shoulder. She was due to meet Vic at Tire Install and she was very conscious now that there would be repercussions if she happened to get caught. Someone from management had left the in-house monitoring screen open, and that someone might come back at any moment. Working quickly, she sent an instant message through to Jenna's feed. Jay, it's me, Deb. Can you make me a clip of the live stream from the part where Fallon showed up to the part where they shot at us? That done, she opened YouTube and found the link to the slideshow video. She copied the link and inserted the video into the rotating slides that would play over the break room TV screens. She was pleased to see that the video was trending. She glanced at the clock, then checked for a message back from Jay, but there was nothing. Damn, that video would have been really incriminating, but she had to go. She packed up her gear, she was just about to leave the office when, the, when she heard the notification come in from her cell phone. She glanced at the screen. It was from Jay. Here you go. It's a little rough. There was a video file. Fuck. She did not have time, but man, that file was so incriminating. She hesitated with her hand on the doorknob, but the urge to go back and put the clip into the next break room TV feed was too compelling. Sighing, she double-backed, logged back into the system, and found the video. There were voices in the corridor. She clapped a hand over her mouth and stared back over her shoulder, wide-eyed, hardly daring to breathe until they passed. Jesus, Lord, help me get out of here. I can't handle the stress. She uploaded the video into the news feed at random. She didn't have time to check where it would play in the rotation. There were over 30 minutes of content. She was pretty sure it would play at the end. Gonna have to be good enough, she thought, and then logged back out and zipped her swipe card back into her purse. 
She opened the door, paused for a moment, then sauntered nonchalantly out. She had emerged onto a corridor that ran along an upper mezzanine, which overlooked the factory floor. She made it what felt like a safe distance away from the HR suite, then paused at the railing to look out over the bustling activity of the working assembly lines and all of the busy humans interacting with the moving platform. In this section of the plant, four parallel assembly lines switched back neatly toward her with balance thrusts at varying stages of completion, progressing along them, a sea of workers adding parts to them along the way. It was a hive of activity. Something of the ordinary caught her eye. Squinting down, she saw Lawrence Fallon sitting in a makeup chair by the entrance. There was a camera crew beside him and half of HR as well. Ah, she thought. So that was why the spyware screen had been left open. All the management types had rushed down to pander to the boss man and somebody forgot to turn it off. She recognized a reporter from the CBC, Jamie Sinclair, Deb thought her name was. The pretty blonde reporter laughed at something Fallon said to her, then turned her back on him and rolled her eyes. Deb smiled, but an idea had struck her. Acting quickly and on instinct, she rummaged in her purse for pen and paper. Vic had the slideshow playing on his smartphone. He stood in the break area outside tire install, showing it to the team leader. So that's where they're getting the gas to run these things? The team leader was a small man in his 50s called Marvin Cheltenham. Watching the slideshow finish, he scratched his head. I didn't believe it either at first, Vic said. But when we put this on, an inter- on the internet, a man with a gun showed up to try to make it, us take it down. And when we wouldn't, Fallon brought that man a gun and he shot at us. Deb and I were there, Murph. But now Fallon's here, and since the big man's in the building, we're going to find out what the deal is. Marvin scrubbed a hand over his face. Vic heard the rasp of his beard stubble. All right, man, let me know what I can do to help. He ducked away. In the aisleway, two young men were pushing a rolling rack of seatbelts, heading for the trim lines. One of them looked over. Hey, Vic, did you say wildcat? Vic recognized Ricky Jarvis. Ricky was a good kid, a little wild, one of the temp workers that had come in after the last round of contract negotiations. Vic nodded. That's right. Hot damn, wildcat, and here I thought the union was dead in the water in this plant. Ain't that some shit? Ricky smirked at his friend. Spread the word, Rick. The union ain't quite dead in this place yet. Vic understood how Ricky felt. The temps had been hired as part of Fallon's plan to break the union, and in some ways, it was working. They got the shit jobs, and they made the least pay. You can't pay a group of workers half of what you pay the rest and expect them to feel like a united workforce, he mused. It was a classic attempt on management's part to create two separate social classes within the plant, and then sow strife and division between them. It was malicious, and it was ugly, 
and it was a tactic to prevent unification and resistance to control. And he had never realized just how ugly it was until this moment. All of that changes today, Vic thought. He cupped a hand around his mouth. Hey, Ricky. Ricky turned, and Vic could see the cool intelligence beneath his smirk. Vic caught up to them. I know you think the union in this place is useless, and I don't blame you. Hell, we let you become second-class citizens, and that stinks. I'm really sorry, but we're not dead yet. We still stand up and fight when something's wrong, and today there's something wrong. Big time. There's going to be a wildcat, Rick, so spread the word. Okay? He looked hard at the younger man. Ricky held his gaze, then his face softened. Okay, Vic, chill. What's it about? This. Vic held up his smartphone and showed the opening slide from Anderson's presentation. I'll text you the link. It's on YouTube. You have to watch it, Ricky. Get, get as many workers as you can to watch it, too. The place is rotten, bud. Watch the video. Share it around. Vic hit send. Ricky pulled his cell phone from his coveralls and opened the YouTube link. He watched the first few slides go by, then frowned. Jarvis, get those goddamn seatbelts to the trim line. It was Wilson Smythe, one of the supervisors on this shift. Okay, Ricky called. Look, Vic, I gotta go. I'll watch the rest, okay? Thanks. Vic watched them push the rack down the aisle way, then let out a breath. Come on, Deb, where are ya? And that's going to be it for chapter 10 of Strike Boat. Next up, we go into chapter 11, Jamie. And we hear a little bit about what the CBC will have to say. So this is Heather. I'm signing off. Today is January 23rd, 2022. Wherever you are, I hope you're keeping your spirits up, staying free, staying happy, and staying united. We heard what Vic just thought there, creating two classes of citizens never serves to unify anything. All it does is serve control. So if anybody is attempting to create segregation in your life, maybe think about what they have to gain from it and what you have to lose. We are all citizens of this beautiful planet. God loves everyone, no exceptions. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode. Stay free. Thank you.